Yes, uh, uh, what is it? The 28th of June. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford. How are you doing today? Hope all is well with you. Max Egan will be on the programme a bit later on. That'll be nice. It's been some time since I've heard from Max. He's in Mexico. He's in Mexico. And he's got lots to talk about with you and with me today. Tuesday's programme. Thanks for joining me. Do leave me a message or a comment at richieallen.co.uk. Please. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host. Richie Allen. Tis myself, to be sure. How cool is uh, it that Max is back on this show? I've known the man for many, many, many years now, going way back to my time in Spain. It'll be a good catch-up, I think. You have already been messaging me. Thank you. Uh, put a few things on the website today, richieallen.co.uk. Some interesting talking points today. We'll get into some of that now. I didn't um, mention, I did want to mention on the website, but I couldn't think of how I would write about it. The story of the migrant deaths in Texas. Have you seen that? The coverage of it. 50 people have died having been found inside an abandoned truck in Texas. That's according to the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel López Obrador. He said 22 Mexicans, 7 Guatemalans and 2 Hondurans are among the dead. It's a horrible thing, uh, unimaginable. I can't imagine it. Maybe you can't either. Uh, the US White House has described it as horrific and heartbreaking. President Biden has been briefed, apparently. Why the coverage? And this is, the, this is my angle. It's always my angle. Why the relentless coverage of it on Sky and on BBC Television and BBC Radio? Why? You see, I was always asked the question when I was producing for other people. Why this story? How is this story relevant to our audience? Now, nobody at the BBC or Sky, I don't think, would be able to tell me that the the, the deaths of 50 people in Texas, having crossed the border into Texas, is worthy of the coverage it got today. Is it worthy of a mention? Probably. But how is it relevant I'm not saying those people's lives mean nothing. Of course not. I'm an Irishman. My countrymen and countrywomen have spread out all over the world for different reasons over the years, economic reasons, joblessness in Ireland in the 80s. Uh, Way back before that, of course, the, the mythical famine. Don't get me into that. Don't get me started. There wasn't any famine in Ireland. There was a stealing of the resources of the country by the empire. But that's another thing. So the the lives of those people are obviously worthy. But how is it relevant to people to be told every hour on the air, to be sent to the scene where reporters are standing there talking about it? Look, it's got a lot to do with globalisation. It's got a lot to do with a one world government agenda. I've talked about it before. But it's vaudeville, I think, the blanket coverage of it. And pride protesters in Norway defied police yesterday by holding a rally in Oslo after uh, a few days after a venue in the capital was the target of a deadly attack. They, 
they, they called it a queer venue. What does that mean? Please, I'm not being sarcastic. Help me out. If you're a gay man or woman and you know what a queer venue means, tell me. Is it a gay bar? Is queer venue a new term for a gay bar? Is it? I don't know. Anyway, two people were killed and 21 injured on Saturday after somebody opened fire outside multiple city centre bars. It was initially described as Islamist terrorism. And uh, police said that upcoming Pride events should be cancelled for safety reasons. But uh, there was a rally anyhow, in defiance of all of this, uh, of this terrible situation on Saturday. Extremists apparently consider LGBT people the enemy. That's the view of the National Police Chief in Norway. Now, Sadiq Khan is the Mayor of London. And um, I would say, dear listener, not sure about you, arguably the most smug, the most self-satisfied man in the history of British politics, maybe recent history. I don't know. Why didn't Donald Trump have Sadiq Khan picked up and dropped in Guantanamo Bay? I don't know. It's the one thing he could have done, Trump, that universally we'd have all applauded. Anywho, never one to miss a chance, as I said, to signal his many virtues. The Mayor of London went to a vigil today, yes, a London vigil, for the total strangers, two of them, who were killed in Oslo. What did he say, Sadiq Khan? In these dark and difficult times, London stands shoulder to shoulder with Oslo. London stands shoulder to shoulder with the LGBTQI plus community. What was that? With the LGBTQI plus community. My memory has gone to shit, to be honest. Can you remember that with the LGBTQ plus I community? Did I get it right? I think I did. With the LGBTQI plus community. Yes. Where is this place, this LGBTQ plus I community? Any ideas? I've said this one before. That's an old gag. Go on to Google Maps and look for it. Ask Alexa to tell you. Anywho, he went on. Yes, we're here to show solidarity. What does that even mean, to show solidarity? What does it mean exactly? They, they never get asked these questions by journalists, do they? What do you mean you're showing solidarity? We're also here to send an emphatic message to those who seek to spread hatred, to those who seek to sow division, to those who terrorise our LGBTQI plus communities. Terrorise LGBTQI plus communities, who's doing that? You will not succeed. And it is... But they do succeed though. Don't they? Sometimes. They did on Saturday. Allegedly, if you believe what's coming out of Oslo. Anyway. It is so important for us to realise every day around the world, including in London, this community faces homophobia and faces discrimination. Where, where, does, where, where do gay people in London face discrimination exactly? Again, nobody asks any questions of these goons. And Khan is a proper goon, isn't he? A real dipstick. Well, give us an example of how a gay person in London in 2022 is facing any discrimination, please. But they don't get asked. And that's why it is so important as the mayor of the greatest city in the world. Bollocks. I say diversity is a strength, not a weakness. Here in London, you're free to love who you want to love, 
and you're free to be who you want to be. I thought there was discrimination in London against gay people. But you know, this Saturday, we have a responsibility because this Saturday, our brothers and sisters in Oslo will be looking to us. Our brothers and sisters in continents, in Asia, in Africa, in North America, in South America, will be looking at us. And I want this Saturday, as the Pride Parade takes place across London, for us to march for openness, inclusiveness, and an accepting world, for us to march for Oslo. None of this means anything. This is beautifully Orwellian, this. It doesn't mean, and it's not meant to mean anything. It's meant to defy explanation, all of that crap about marching for diversity and inclusivity. Sadiq Khan there, speaking at a, a vigil for those who died in Oslo. Yes, don't swear. Jeremy Vine is a BBC Radio 2 presenter. He pops up on Channel 5 television most mornings as well. You can't get enough of him. Can't get enough of Jeremy. He didn't make it to work this morning, so he streamed live from his bedroom to his Facebook page. Sore throat. What? What was that? Sore throat. Sore throat. Headache. Headache too. <coughs> Terrible cough. 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 Aches and pains. And aches and pains. Sounds like he has a touch of the flu. And a Joy Division t-shirt. And he's wearing a Joy Division t-shirt. So I'm in bed with it. With it. With COVID. With COVID. Previously, years gone by, I would have come into work with this. You can walk, you can work. But obviously, that's not possible now. It's not possible now. This is the one they won't answer either. Why not? Why isn't it? For years, yes, we did. I remember. One of the worst things... I mean, you might say, Richie, you, you've always had easy jobs. I've never really done any manual labour. It must be fairly difficult to go to a building site where you're expected to, I don't know, to carry things around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> To, to, to manage a Kango hammer or a drill, I don't know. But I've had to work, I've had to go on air over the years and I've been pretty dreadfully unwell with a high temperature. But you just do it anyway. But not anymore, he said. Nobody wants to question. This is very relevant, very prescient. One of the favourites for the men's Wimbledon tennis tournament, which is on right now, at S... What is it? SW19, is it? Is it? SW, is it 19? 18, is it? Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. You're always wrong, Richie. Um, but, um, yeah, Berrettino. Is it Matteo or Matthias Berrettino? I don't, I don't know. His name is Berrettino. He won Queen's, a warm-up tournament for Wimbledon. He's a good player, apparently. He knocked out Andy Murray out of Wimbledon last year. Um, he can't take any further part in the tournament because he tested positive for COVID. There's nothing wrong with him. This is the thing. There's nothing wrong with the guy. Anyway, I'm not saying there isn't anything wrong with Jeremy Vine. But this idea now that... No, no, if we suspect you have COVID, you've got to stay home. You can't go to work. This is an idea that's come, that, that um, this is an idea, it's time has not just come, it's basically enshrined now in employment law. It isn't really, but it, it's virtually enshrined in employment law. You don't come into work now if you've got a bit of a cold or a bit of a, bit of a sniffle. And that's a bit crazy, isn't it? Going by our shows, out of the presenters, 100% of our presenters have got it. That means, that means still. He, he said that the people who usually co-present with him are all in bed with COVID. That means there must be a lot of it about. Why isn't the government mentioning it? Why isn't the government saying anyone vulnerable, you know, stay indoors, 
Look at my test. That's a big red line there. He's showing his COVID test now. You know that little thing? The little white plastic gadget with the two red lines on it. He's showing, showing it to the camera. There's a lot of it around. A lot of it around. And Shouldn't they be saying, lock up your daughters? Or Shouldn't the government be saying, lock up your daughters? Tie your mother down or you know, just, just stay in if you are vulnerable. But we've not heard a peep. They just, I guess they're too busy. I keep myself rational and sane by imagining Jeremy Vine getting smashed across the face by a frying pan. It's dreadful. I wrote about this today. I can't find new ways of expressing how bad this is. A journalist demanding that the government do something because he has got COVID. Because he's a bit under the weather and has had to lie down for a day or two. Jeremy Vine. And then his programme then, which, which found presenters miraculously, um, was full of people saying that the government needs to bring masks back and distancing back and all the rest of that rubbish. It's not going anywhere, is it? It's coming back this winter, isn't it? Yes. If you believe the feature writers in The Guardian today and in The Independent, COVID is once again running rampant through the country and something needs to be done about it. And a number of you responded to my article earlier pointing out that Vine very vocal about his jabs he's had the jabs he's had three of them at least doesn't doesn't it I don't know occur to Jeremy Vine there's something very wrong with taking all of these jabs and repeatedly coming down with Covid because he did say that he's had it several times since being jabbed now I would argue he probably hasn't that he's probably got flu but the tests will well, they'll say COVID, won't they? No matter what you've got, the test will come back as COVID. And what was it that Sucharit Bakhti, the German guy, said, the German scientist, and Dolores Cahill? What was it they said about the mRNA jabs leading to the immune system in the recipient going into overdrive in the future when the person meets a regular infection, despite protein stuff? Remember, the prediction they made, they said that when the people when people get several mRNA jabs, it will mean in the future there's a good chance that those people's immune systems could attack the person. When a new virus or a new pathogen crosses their path, that they could become very, very ill or repeatedly ill. I wonder is there anything to that? Well, we'll leave that one there. I'm not a scientist. What do I know? It's quarter past the hour. Max Egan with me, not too far away from now. Hey, listen, Friday morning I was out running around Stretford. Stretford had a lovely long run on Friday morning. Good long run. And I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live and I heard an astonishing interview with a woman called Vicky Spit. Now, Vicky Spit is somebody, um, my heart was broken listening to her. She was with a gentleman called Zeon, and he died not long after receiving the AstraZeneca COVID jab. And Vicky and Zeon had been together for 21 years. They had a beautiful relationship by all accounts. They, they worked in a band together. They travelled Europe and they were very much in love. Zeon is dead because he took the AstraZeneca jab. I was startled, really, dear listener, to be honest, to listen to this, that BBC Radio 5 Live were speaking to this lady. Would you like to hear some of it? Or would you like to hear a lot of it? Let's hear a lot of it. I couldn't wait to play you this. 
I was going to play it on Sunday and I thought, well, I don't do the Sunday morning, I don't do the politics so much on the melodies. I thought I might play it yesterday, but then I was away yesterday. Um, but, but this is one I'm glad that I heard and I'm glad that I kept. Here's Vicky Spit in conversation with Rick Edwards on BBC Radio 5 Live last Friday. Yeah, we were together for 21 years. Um, I met him when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I literally grew up with him. You know, it was... Well, it was my entire life. Um, mm. We were apart one night in that entire time. And, um, yeah, we formed a band. We um, toured around the UK and Europe. We had some amazing times. Mm. And just to have it just ripped away so suddenly. Is, what? Well, it's very difficult to come to terms with. Yeah, of course. Um, what happened when he when he got his COVID vaccine and, and in the, the days and weeks afterwards? So he got the vaccine on the 5th of May. Eight days later, he started developing a headache. And that was on the Thursday. And he couldn't sleep at all Thursday night. Um, headache continued throughout Friday, despite taking painkillers and like, drinking lots of water. He always drank loads of water anyway. Um, on the Saturday, he... He was still in so much pain and his face was starting to look puffy, so I called an ambulance. And they came and they told us he was having a migraine. We did tell him he'd had the AstraZeneca vaccine 10 days ago and it was completely dismissed as any contributing factor. We were told he's having a migraine despite the fact he'd never had a migraine in his life. And we did query that. We were told that um, if you were under a lot of stress, apparently you could spontaneously develop migraines. And to keep taking painkillers and hydrating. So that was on the Saturday. On the Monday, his speech started to slur. I called an ambulance again. And that was the last time I ever saw him alive, really. Um, I rushed him to Carlisle Hospital. They did a scan. They saw a bleed on the brain. They took him to the RVI in Newcastle. And I couldn't go with him um, when he went off in the ambulance because of COVID regulations. Um, I got to the RVI and he was taken straight to surgery. And I got a phone call at 4.30 in the morning to tell me that they had had to remove a large piece of his skull. His brain was massively swollen. She'd never seen anything like it. And she believed it was a result of the AstraZeneca vaccine. At that point, I was allowed to go to the hospital. And so was his family. who hadn't seen him for 18 months because of all the COVID regulations, I should add. Mm. Um, and we just sat by his bed in the hope be some sort of miracle but he never woke up he never woke up Vicky Spitz speaking about her um, partner Zeon who died just after having the AstraZeneca jab this gets really interesting this I'm so sorry Vicky um, how how soon afterwards was it established that it was the, the, the vaccine that had, that had caused his death it was established when he was taken to hospital mm. all yeah, it's, they, they, there was no doubt about it. Um, we, uh, there was no doubt. It was on the interim death certificate. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he had the D-dimer levels and the platelet count that Rachel was talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was no underlying health issues whatsoever. He was ridiculously healthy. Are you... I don't know how to phrase this. Are you relieved to have this payout? Does it does it help at all? It's 
the first step to getting recognition mm. for over a year for me and a year and a half for others in the Vib UK group that I represent or I'm a part of. Um, as Rich said, 95 bereaved and injured families all confirmed. For a year and a half, we've been trying to talk to anyone who'll listen, trying to talk to our MPs, trying to talk to media, and we have been um, ignored and belittled. And, and like Rachel said, there are a lot of people who go around and they will try to say it about you know, vaccines. They're going to inject you with microchips. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. So they were ignored. They were belittled. They were mocked on social media, including by very senior politicians across the political spectrum. And then they were lumped in with people who make claims about microchips being in the vaccines and stuff like that. Now leave that to one side, whether I'm sure there will be people listening to this programme who, who will have some, will might, might believe that there are ingredients in the vaccines. Anyhow, but they never said any of this. Okay, so this is Vicky Spit. She's, she was given £120,000 by the government. There are because her fiance was killed by the by the vaccine, there are ninety five of them in total confirmed deaths. Ninety five confirmed as confirmed as having been killed by the AstraZeneca vaccine. Ninety five. Keep that one in mind. She goes on. And unfortunately, because of that, um, Ofcom's obviously got very strict regulations about what can be said about the vaccines. Imagine that Ofcom. Now we know this to be true, but she's saying this on the BBC. Ofcom, which regulates broadcasting in this country, has strict rules about what can be said about the vaccines. Ofcom, which as far as I understand isn't populated by or isn't run by epidemiologists or virologists. It's basically run by people that are little more than political appointees. Ofcom says you can't speak about this stuff. So they were ridiculed and belittled and mocked and lumped in with microchip enthusiasts. Mm. And um, we, we just found that anything we said, even though we, we are talking completely factual things, we're not saying anything untrue. We're not being anti-vax. We're just saying, hey, this happened. Can someone please pay attention to us and give us some help? We need help. But they were ignored, she says. We get ignored. We even get belittled. We've had MPs <laughs> call us names. Um We've had, uh, like, um, sorry, I'm right out of it still. Uh, like articles we would post online would be classed as misinformation. And really interesting. This Torfella was destroyed by the AstraZeneca jab. She runs a group with ninety five other confirmed fatalities, and uh, they would have posts taken down. She says for misinformation. And we'd get banned from social media platforms. I, I posted a interview I did with The Independent on Twitter. It's The Independent, you know, mm. <laughs> and that got taken down as misleading information. And it, all it was was a one year on thing um, they did. And they wanted to know how it was going and, um, you know, if we'd had any compensation paid out or anything yet. And that was labelled as misinformation. Imagine that. She goes on. So, so what, what's your... What's your take on the vaccine itself after all of this? After all of this, I'm still pro-vaccine. But with regards to these vaccines, specifically the AstraZeneca vaccine, which, you know, it's worth noting they don't use in the UK anymore. Um, I'm unimpressed with the pressure that was put on us to get it. 
And I'm also unimpressed with how we were told it was 100% safe and 100% efficient. Um, Z only got the vaccine. All the people that I know who've been injured and bereaved by the vaccine, they only got it because they were worried about spreading it. They were young, healthy people who didn't need to be inoculated against any mild respiratory virus. They got it because they were convinced that it was in the interest of the wider community and so-called vulnerable people if they got it. Giving it to vulnerable people. They weren't worried about themselves. Mm. So the pressure we were put under to get it, you know, you're gonna, you can't go to work, you can't go out, you can't get on an aeroplane, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to get the vaccine, otherwise you're going to kill your granny. And all that's just evaporated now, hasn't it? <laughs> you can get on an aeroplane without a vaccine. You can go and see your family. You, you can keep your job at the NHS. So I feel extremely resentful of that pressure we were put under, especially as the, the thing that kills Z, vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia, that wasn't on the information sheets that was given out to patients. And I've since learned that they did actually know about it as a side effect. And why weren't we told? They'd known about it for months. Amazingly, she wasn't cut off and stopped. Um, she went on to complain legitimately, obviously, quite brightly, about the treatment she received and the other families received before a fairly stunned BBC presenter said, well, the best to look in the future and I hope you find some peace. That was um, Vicky Spitz speaking to the BBC on Friday morning. Amazing stuff. Just after they had finished, or he had finished speaking to her, he read out a statement from AstraZeneca. Uh, And a statement from AstraZeneca. Uh, We are very saddened uh, saddened by Zeon's death and extend our deepest sympathies to Vicky Spitz and Zeon's family. AstraZeneca is not involved in the operation of the vaccine damages payment scheme and has no involvement in any specific claims made. The safety of anyone taking AstraZeneca's vaccine remains our highest priority and regulatory authorities have clear and stringent standards to ensure the safe use of all medicines including vaccines. COVID-19 has inflicted terrible suffering. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. The statement goes on to say COVID-19 has done this and that and the other thing. But you did catch the, 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 the first bit of that, didn't you there? The first bit of that statement there. AstraZeneca. To Vicky Spit and Zeon's family. AstraZeneca is not involved in the operation of the vaccine damages payment scheme. And- AstraZeneca is not involved in the operation of the vaccine damages payment scheme. Why is that, dear listener? For two points. That's your starter for two. Well, it's because the UK government indemnified AstraZeneca against having to pay out anyone destroyed by its dodgy jabs. And has no involvement in any specific claims made. The safety of anyone taking AstraZeneca's vaccine remains our highest priority and regulatory authorities have clear and stringent standards to ensure the safe use of all medicines, including vaccines. COVID-19 has inflicted terrible suffering. Yeah, and so on, so on, so on, so on. Very interesting that. Which jab was it in the 1970s? Refresh my memory. I've heard so many facts and figures over the course of the last two plus years that my head is fried, my brain is gone. Which vaccine? Was it a swine flu vaccine in the United States in the mid-1970s? Was immediately pulled by the FDA because of a handful of alleged fatalities. The UK government is admitting to at least 95 fatalities as a result of just the AstraZeneca jab alone. Why are they still talking to Sarah Gilbert and 
the Oxford professors. Why are they still talking about AstraZeneca jabs coming later this year, Moderna jabs coming later this year? Why haven't they suspended it, the campaign? 28 minutes past the hour. Tuesday's Richie Allen show, live as always from uh, from Salford. Back with more after this. Yeah, that is Urge Overkill singing Neil Diamond's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Brian Smith is in New Zealand. How are you doing? Doing, Brian, he says, Dolores Cahill has some interesting things to say about that. Quackzine. Isabel says, oh my God, give Best Actor Oscar to Jeremy Vine. Is it me or does he sound like Ferris Bueller trying to convince his parents he is way too sick to go to school? Did he, did he fake sickness to stay at home and spend the rest of the day with his best friend and girlfriend, she says. But seriously, is he playing it up to try and sound much worse than he really is? It sounds like that to me, says Isabel. Darren says, what a blanket ban on any criticism in regards to the harms caused by a hurried and rushed into injection. Rushed into the arms of millions without those who have suffered being able to speak out. I'm glad the BBC allowed Vicky to speak out, but when will people wake up and realise this is not about protecting health, but it has a darker agenda? That's Darren. Pandora says there are one hundred, uh, sorry, 1,286 yellow card deaths reported uh, to AstraZeneca jabs in the UK. So that's a whopping amount of compensation. That could just be 1% of the real death tolls, says Pandora. Thanks to Martin in Spain. Uh, no need, Martin. We've heard the story. But uh, thanks anyway. Chris says, a friend of mine has had two doses of it. He has been in chronic pain ever since the AZ jab. He's too proud to even call his GP about it. Uh, Tony says, the injections are not vaccines. That's right, they're not. He says, they offer no benefit to health. That's what Tony says. He says, they do cause injury and death. That's his opinion. They argue, the manufacturers and those who license the jabs, they argue that if you have the jab... It means your COVID will be a bit milder. That's what they say, Tony. But I don't buy it either, mate. I don't buy it either. Thank you for your messages. Surrounded by Moron says the Vicky Spit Zeon story is heartbreaking. The lockdowns and shot, pu- shot pushers should be forced to listen to these stories. This should be aired on national television every hour on the hour. Well, let's give the Beeb credit for once. They covered it. Jonathan Stone, my pal in, in, in Ireland. How are you doing, Jonathan? The BBC is covering this story, he asks. Have we reached critical mass? Craig says, naughty, naughty AZ vaccine. It's such a good job. We have largely moved to the mRNA jibby jabs, he says. Yeah. Nelly is 64 today. Happy birthday, Nelly. And many more. And my friend Patricia, her husband is celebrating his birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday to him in advance, Patricia. I'm sure you look after him tomorrow. Hi to Gail. How you doing, Gail? Thanks for the heads up on the videos and the stuff. I appreciate that. And yes, it is SW19 for Wimbledon. Wimbledon is on at the moment. I like a little bit of Wimbledon. I'll be watching Andy Murray make progress, hopefully through the tournament. Although, like yourself, we're not too happy about his um, Russian player stance and the Belarusian or the Belarusian player stance. He complained about them being banned, did Andy Murray, but he didn't do much else. He wasn't offering to stand shoulder to shoulder with them and go on strike 
or anything like that. Message me at richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. You can uh, reach me via comment live, live comment at the top of the page. This interested me today because it's, it's everywhere. It's the stuff you don't want to talk about because it seems so silly. But it's everywhere, isn't it? Silliness in schools. Um, I was listening to a little bit of LBC radio this morning and I heard a father, a guy called Mick, I think. He was on talking about womendom, womendom or wymondom. How do you pronounce it? W-Y-M-O-N-D-H-A-M. Is it womendom or wymondom? It's a, a, an academy in Norfolk. And it has ruled, has this school, this academy, that boys can wear skirts on warm days but not shorts. Equally, girls can wear trousers or skirts but girls can't wear shorts. This is Jonathan Rocky, or Rookie, the head teacher of this school with 1,700 pupils. He says that the new policy is something we're very proud of, insisting that parents had been consulted. Boys can wear skirts if they like, but if they wear shorts, they'll be sent home. One irate father called into LBC Radio to uh, vent his spleen. Well, the first I heard about this was yesterday morning when I opened my newspaper over breakfast oh, I didn't and was see absolutely that. gobsmacked to read the headlines that my son is no lo- will not be allowed to wear shorts and has to wear a skirt on hot days. It's absolutely unbelievable. What's the school... Now, bear in mind, nobody knows who you are, all your boys. What's the school like? Are you happy, broadly speaking, with the school? I've been... My son's been there several years now and um, I've been happy with it. You know, it's, um, it's, it had a good reputation for education. Uh, over the last couple of years, um, they've introduced a same-sex toilet, you know, where the boys and the girls all share, which I certainly don't agree with. You know, these, these kids are, you know, teenagers and their bodies are developing yeah, and everything. And, you know, they, they, I don't agree with that whatsoever. Hormones are raging. How, how can they get away with that in a high school? where you've got kids 13, 14, 15, how can they get away with a unisex toilet? Or, say, I mean, how can they get away with that? Where are the parents? I blame the parents. They're too soft, aren't they, these days, parents? Jesus, you think back. I think back when I was younger. Parents were around the school. They really were. I went to St. Saviour's National School in Ballybeg. I went to St. Paul's Community College in Liz Duggan. And if there was any sense that a teacher was getting out of order or saying stuff or doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, the parents were around at the speed of light. What's wrong with parents now? And then last year, um, you know, we had a, a new teacher start who wanted to be um, non-binary, I believe, was a term. They had a teacher who uh, declared themselves to be, do you see, see what I did there? Declared themselves to be non-binary. I'm catching on, it's catching on here. So it's, it's not a Mr. or a Mrs.? It's not a Mr. or a Mrs., it's... It's a, a mooks. Mooks. Which, you know, I'm not homophobic or anything like that whatsoever. I'm very... It's madness to ask a child to refer to somebody as mooks. I don't know, Smith. Who have you got at uh, two o'clock? Well, I've got geography with Mucks Smith. The fuck is that? It's Mr. Smith. But looks like a man, sounds like a man. It's a man. And vice versa. We open minded. Okay. Uh, um, but for these children, you know, who are developing to have. They've got enough of their plate, you know. They're, they're scrambling their brains with this bullshit. Mucks. <laughs> You've got Mucks Smith. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're a good teacher. You know, in fairness, they are a good teacher. 
They're ruining kids. It's 22 minutes to the top of the hour. It's the BBG with you till 7 o'clock. Max Egan, limbering up there in Mago. He'll be with me momentarily. Comment live via the website richieallen.co.uk. Tis good. Women to mispronounced Wyndham, says Bridget. Bridget, the big know-all. You should throw away all your encyclopedias, Bridget. You big feckin' know-all. David says, Richie, the worst part of the BBC interview with Vicky was um, right after speaking with Miss Spit, the host brought in the BBC's health and disinformation correspondent to give her take. That's right. That's right. I didn't think it was worthwhile playing any of it because she, she didn't say very much. All she did was confirm that there were 95 families. Um, officially 95 deaths. Officially. There are many more, as some of you have said already. But you're right, they brought on a disinformation reporter. That's right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. They're muddying the water somewhat by doing that. You know, giving the listener that little bit of doubt, maybe. I don't know. Millie confirms it's Wyndham. Baird says, same-sex toilets in a school. My parents would have beaten up the head. Teacher for that says Baird. Yeah, yes, they would have. I was in primary school in third standard. There was an Egypt of a teacher called Cullen. Can't remember his first name. He was a fool anyway, this guy. He was very young. And he, he inflicted humiliating punishments on the, the pupils. One of the things he did was put you in a stress position. So he didn't like me very much. I don't think I was particularly gobby as a primary school student. I wasn't. I became gobby later on. In fact, I was pretty introverted. But I was clever. And I think I contradicted him one time over a spelling. And I was right. I was 10 years old. So he put me in a stress position. He told me to stand on my tiptoes, lean over the radiator and touch the window of the classroom with my nose, which was a stress position. It was uncomfortable and humiliating. And somebody saw this, one of my neighbours, and let it be known to my mother, who mentioned it to my grandfather, who promptly arrived at the school the following day and beat the piss out of the teacher. This is a true story said words to the effect of, we could hear him in the corridor, if you fuck with my grandson again, I'll come back next time with a, with a hurley and I'll cave your head in with it. They wouldn't put up with it, people, back then. Now you have madness going on in schools and there is an absence of parental outrage followed up by parental visits to schools to dangle these head teachers by their ankles over the nearby motorway bridges. Listen, enough of this shit now with mucks, Wilson and Zay and geography and non-binary and queer and all this shit. Enough! Teach them how to read and write and how to add up. That's about the size of it. Nothing else matters, right? Right. Billy says, I have empathy for people who are genuinely frightened into having the jabs, but it's the surviving taxpayers who knew it was dangerous who will end up paying the compensation bills. Diane asks, why are the people who promoted the jabs under investigation yet, why are they not under investigation yet, asks Diane. Good question, Diane. The lady made the point herself, didn't she, um, Vicky? They coerced, they shamed, they haunted people into taking these pissy, toxic jabs. Threatened them. You won't be able to do this, you won't be able to do that. They had no long-term data on the jabs. None. By their own admission, COVID was only 
If it exists, I hear you scream. Fair enough. I hear you scream it. COVID was only really dangerous to people with serious problems anyway. People ask, you know, at death, 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 death. People basically hanging over the edge of the cliff. You know, a stiff breeze would blow them over. They knew this. And you listen to what Vicky told Radio 5 Live. The harassment, the name-calling, the mocking, the jeering of people like her who'd lost the person most valuable to them in, in, in their lives. Why? I say that to people occasionally. I don't get too bogged down by people. We're not going to win this. I think, I think long, 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 long term, I think spiritually we will win this. But we're not going to win this chapter. We're not going to win this fight. The world's going to get very dark, is what I believe. So I don't care about people. But I do sometimes say to people, because I do get accosted from time to time, because I'm around where I live now, I'm increasingly known as that guy who does that radio show. And I say to them, I don't tell them what to think. I say, why do you think they went after people? Why was it so important for them to get people to have these jabs? You know, to chase people around, to ban people, to threaten people. Why were they so desperate? Please ask that question. Don't listen to my radio show. Say what you want about me. I've got thick skin. But please start to think for your feckin' self. Why did they go to such lengths to discredit good doctors? Why? Now they're admitting 95 AstraZeneca. And you were pointing out to me, as I mentioned earlier, they suspended the rollout of a swine flu jab in America in the 70s because it killed three or four people. It's tyranny. It's, it's, it's unimaginably evil and it is part of a depopulation agenda. It's also part of a conditioning agenda to condition people to be taking jabs all the time, to condition people to stay home when they are told to stay home, even if they think, well, my head's fairly heavy now and the old throat's a bit sore, but you know, haven't they always gone into work like? So I will go into work because I'll only be getting bored stiff at home and I like my job, I want to go into work. No, no, they're conditioning people that that is unacceptable. Ask yourselves, people, ask yourselves, ask yourselves, why did they go to such lengths to discredit Harvard University scientists? Look what they did to Martin Kuldorf when he came on this radio programme. This one. They went after him about anti-Semitism. They went all over social media saying Martin Kuldorf is basically a closet anti-Semite because he spoke to the Richie Allen show. Martin Kuldorf had never heard of the Richie Allen show. Never heard of it. Why would he? He said, ah, oh, somebody with a show with a bit of a reach wants to hear about the dangers of lockdowns and why we should be careful about the job. So he came on. They tried to destroy him in the press in New York and in the press in Great Britain. I say to people, why? It's unprecedented that they've tried to force a medicine on people. It's never happened before quite like this. Why? Ask yourself why. Why did they tell you you couldn't do this, this, this and this and now they're letting you do whatever you want because they're satisfied. Maybe that they've gotten through round one, they've gotten as many people jabbed as they wanted to in the forced rollout of these jabs. These are the questions, but I don't, I said I don't get bogged down anymore 
with people's inability to ask basic questions. I just couldn't give a shit anymore. That's not a depressed thing. That's not a depressive talking. I'm in great form. I just don't care about them. They'll never learn. They'll never change. They will go along with everything. They will build. They will construct their own prisons. They will walk into them and they will lock themselves in from the inside. That's the mentality of them. And you know what? I'm learning to love them anyway. Love them. Forgive them, Jesus once said. For they know not what it is they do. I think that's what our Lord said. Arnold. Max Egan is live with me from Mexico. Mexico. Alright, let's get into it. The big geraniums and uh, home again. It's exactly 11 minutes to the top of the hour. It is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. It's the BBG with you till 7 o'clock. My guest this hour, it's been quite a while since we heard from him on this programme. You, though, are following his extraordinary journey. You'll remember that last year he fled his native Australia to get away from the tyranny of impending lockdowns. He's in Mexico. He's an artist, a writer, a public speaker, terrific broadcaster. Find him at thecrowhouse.com. It's a real pleasure to welcome back to the programme our friend Max Egan. Welcome back, Max. How are you? I'm good, Richie. Thanks for having me on, brother. Nice to chat to you again. It is. It's been too long. How's the Spanish coming along? Are you doing okay? Are you having <laughs> lessons? Are you, are you making an effort? Oh, look, slowly but surely, brother. I'm not making much of an effort, unfortunately. I'm living in a place where there's too many people speaking English, but I'll get there. You, of course you'll get there, yeah. And I should say that after eight and a half years in Spain, I've got a few words and a few verbs, so I, I wouldn't be throwing any stones in, in anyone's uh, direction. It is great to hear from you, pal. How are things at the moment? What's going on with you? No, things are pretty good. I'm uh, still on the move. I'm still figuring out where I want to be. I'm kind of in the northern area of Mexico at the moment, and I'm going to be going back down south probably in a few weeks. And I'm still just sort of checking the place out. I mean, Mexico is so big, there's so much to look at that uh, it's it's difficult to find exactly where you want to be. I mean, they've got a big range of mountains down the middle of Mexico. If you flatten it out, it's actually bigger than Asia, uh, Mexico, so it's a huge place. So yeah, I'm still figuring out where I want to be, but I'll find the right place. Of course you will. Before we start talking about what's what's happening geopolitically at the moment, the thing about Mexico that worries me, and you'll probably eviscerate me now for saying this, because a lot of this comes through the mainstream media, but I do get a lot of stories across my desk of drug wars and gang wars and people being kidnapped and, and shot. Like it, it seems that some parts of the country with the cartels, can be very, very dangerous. Is that something you have to kind of keep an eye on? Look, not really. The cartels um, run most of the country, and if you get in bad with the cartels, bad things will happen. But if you don't, um, it's okay. I mean, even the president of Mexico has said that the places where the cartels are in control is actually less murders in those places. The thing about Mexico is everything's run by cartels, like everything. It isn't just drug cartels. It's the salt cartel, the papaya cartel, the fish cartel, the corn cartel, the, anything. Any, any. What would you you would have as government regulation departments, like the agriculture department or the, the you know whatever department. These are all cartels in Mexico, and it's the same sort of thing. I without the government getting in the way. And if you don't do what the cartel says, they cut your head off. So yeah. things sort of get done around here, you know. And um, I don't have, I don't feel in any danger at all. In uh, anywhere I go, uh, I've never felt in danger in this country. So, yeah. 
you get on with people, don't you? And then you, you kind of mind your own business as well, which is, I suppose, the right approach. Max Egan is our, is our guest. Just speaking of Mexico, look, you might not be on top of this because you're quite a few hours behind us, but they're reporting a pretty awful situation in Texas overnight where 50 migrants apparently were found in the back of a lorry dead, have, having been transported across the border. Quite a few of them are Mexican, apparently. The, the Mexican president has been, has been speaking about it. What, what, what do you make of that, Max? What, what's going on there? I've only just seen the headline, Richie. I haven't actually looked at the story at all. I've only just seen the headline this morning, so I don't know any of the details. So I can't really no, of course you can't. No. offer you an opinion. I don't know what, what circumstances, why they were crossing the border or, or what was going on. So Yeah, we get the, what we get is we get the usual uh, Twitter wars when something like this happens. Uh, you, you get the... I mean, they could, could be anything. There's a lot of, a lot of people get uh, kidnapped from places like uh, Nuevo Leon and places in, in the north of Mexico near Texas. And, and places that are like girls that are taken over the border and used in porn and all sorts of stuff in the United States. So you don't know what the circumstances are surrounding these people. I mean, it could be a US thing, could be a cartel thing, could be a slaving thing, could be anything. You know, I haven't looked at it. Now, COVID is making its way back into our news. I don't know what you want to call it, our news cycle at the moment. You have politicians and feature writers calling for the government to intervene because there's been a spike in cases, that's always worrying because you never know what, what's going to happen. What has been your experience during your time in Mexico of the the way the Mexican authorities have, have, have dealt with COVID? I mean, you fled absolute tyranny in Australia, didn't you, to, uh, to get to Mexico. How have the Mexicans dealt with COVID and is it any better? Well, there's a lot of people wearing masks here. There's a lot of regulations in some stores. I mean, most of them have been dropped now, but there's there's some people who are following the guidelines. There's no vaccine mandates or anything here. That you can have the jab if you want to. You can do these things if you want to, but there's no you know, requirement for you to do so. So they're kind of going along with it to, to sort of save face on the world stage. And a lot of the Mexican people, I mean, they're, they're pretty uninformed. There's not a lot of truth speakers in Spanish. So they don't get a lot of information here. I mean, I've made pretty good headway with people talking to them, and, and so are friends of mine. Where I'm staying at the moment, there's a huge uh, freedom cell here of like hundreds and hundreds of people who are completely against all of this. And the thing, the way it runs in, in the ground in Mexico is it kind of runs from the ground up. You know, the president has less say than the governors, and the governors have less say than the local mayors, and the mayors have less say than the people. There's a town near where I am called... Um, uh, San Pancho, and during the uh, during 2020, the uh, the head of the town wanted to lock the town down, put him into lockdown, and he was unfortunately found dead in his home the next morning. And then the uh, head doctor wanted to uh, the school children to wear masks at school, and he was found on the beach with his head cut off the next day. So they decided to forego all COVID restrictions in that town. Hang on a second, and and do you think it's credible that those guys might have been murdered because of? plans to i mean yeah. I, I'm, I'm not i'm not being silly about this I, I know that if you say something you know you've gotten some good information you're not going to say it otherwise but i mean that's extreme in the well it's extreme but that's yeah. mexico that's that's what i mean i mean that that kind of deals with the problem here um that 
if you do the wrong thing, the people will will not stand for it. There's very, very strong families in Mexico. That's what I like about the place the most is the strength of family. You don't find any homeless people in Mexico, Richie. No homeless people. Because if you're my third or fourth or even fifth cousin, if you're homeless, well, no, you come and live with me. We'll build a little humpy on the side of the house if we have to. We'll build you an extra room. No council regulations. We can build what we want. You know, so there's no homeless people. There's the strength of family. You come and mess with someone's family and the entire family, which may be hundreds of people, will come looking for you. You know, so that's Mexico. And I like that. The strength of family here is what's going to hold this country together when things really um, hit the wall, you know. And you don't get that in a lot of other countries. You really don't. No, you don't. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There isn't any homelessness because second cousin twice removed is blood and won't see their uh, relative lying on the streets or, or begging for food, they'll take them in. That's a beautiful thing. They're, they're, they're very Christian, I, I guess, cause like, like the Spanish, having lived in Spain, the churches were beautiful and there seemed to be a pretty healthy attendance at, at, uh, at church, Max. I suppose it's pr- probably pretty similar in Mexico. Well, it is, you know, and I'm not being a Christian person, but having said that, you know, Christian values, the Christian values of family and that sort of stuff is, is good. And yeah, they very much hold to that here in Mexico. So that's what that's what makes this place a strong country. Like in uh, Acapulco and Guerrero, they um, in 2018, they threw the municipal police out of the town. They just threw them out. That's why the West is saying Mex- uh, Acapulco is one of the most dangerous cities in the world because there's no police force there because the police force was the source of all the corruption in the town. So the locals arced up and threw them out. Now, there's no corruption in Acapulco. You've still got military around the place, but the, the whole they're in the process of throwing the military out of the entire state of Guerrero now. They don't want them there either. You know, there's another state down south called Chiapas where half of the state is run by the um, Zapatistas. There's no government there at all. They just threw them out completely, and it's it's you know, their own law down there. What you're describing but, there, Max, is a blueprint for the overthrow of these regimes globally. I mean, if, if a village in Mexico can toss out the local police and if it can then put the military on the run just by the f- nature of the fact that people have actually stood up to it, I mean, that's the answer, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. I mean, the thing the military, they've just paid a meagre wage. They're working for a government that they know all governments are ultimately corrupt anyway. And they're just working for a wage. The people in the state, they're, they're fighting for their freedom. They've got a lot more um, strength and nous about them than these people in the military. And you get a truckload of armed guys going after a military vehicle and the military vehicle turns tail and just hightails it out of town. And it's good to see. And that's the strength of the people here. And people might say, oh, that's terrible, throwing the police out. What about all the crime? Well, the, the, the police are the source of the crime. And it's like that in most countries. So people wouldn't believe that, though. But mm-hmm. it is. Even in our own states, you find most of the prostitution and drug rings and all this stuff is run by the police. It always has been. And it's the same in most countries. They just figured that out here in Mexico. And so they threw them out. I think that's a good thing. We, we, we've had more sex scandals here in this country. Um, where details have emerged here in the northwest and in and in the northeast, where police forces weren't just turning a blind eye to um, Asian grooming gangs grooming um, young white girls, but they were complicit in it. So you know, just to back up what you're saying there, they were complicit in it. They were involved in it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fair point I think to make about police forces. That being said, there will always be police officers listening to shows like this and they will be decent people and they will think, well, look, I go out to work every day to try and do my best for people. But look, I think endemically or systemically, police forces are corrupt. I believe that too. Max Egan is our guest. It's uh, about 30 seconds to the top of the hour. 
We, I feel like we're in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. We're in the summer, at least we are here in Europe anyway. And for, for a couple of months now or more, there hasn't been any restrictions here in the UK. They dropped a lot of the vax mandate plans. You know, they've kind of reversed on, on, on those plans. So it, it seems to be on the up and up. I kind of feel I know different, that there's, there's certainly bigger fights to come, bigger battles to come. At the moment, it feels like we're in a bit of a holding pattern. Do you feel that yourself? Do you feel that we're in the middle of something? Like, you know, when you're in the eye of the storm, Max, it can actually feel like the storm is actually waning, but it isn't. You're just in the eye of it and it's just about to kick off again. How do you feel about where we are in terms of all of this COVID stuff? I think that's pretty well a spot on analogy where we are. I mean, they're, they're not going to let this go away we've, we've really held them back a lot we've pushed back a lot and we've we've uh, caused them to you know slow their plans down a little bit i think because there's been a huge pushback but we are in the eye of the storm they're setting everybody up for a, a huge uh financial and uh food crisis and energy crisis and all of this sort of stuff i mean what they're doing in australia what they're doing across europe and even what they're doing in america the amount of food production facilities that have been destroyed in America, the same in Australia. Now they're coming for the bees in Australia. They're saying there's a mite. They've got a euthanase, millions of bees. Bees are the, the basis of the food chain. I mean, you start destroying bees, you're destroying the food chain. You know, when, when they're coming for things like this, it's, it, you know, the, the government is removing the bees. It's time for us to remove the government before these politicians kill everything and all life on earth, which is what they're doing. They're really setting things up. This whole Ukraine, China, Russia thing is a concern. There's, uh, there's Russian troops in Nicaragua at the moment, you know, just on exercises, of course, but, you know, very close. It's like 1,600, 1,700 miles from Texas, so, you know, pretty close. Um, the way they've got this new alliance with um, Russia and China and the whole thing that's going on in Ukraine with NATO, I mean, if the United States goes in and backs NATO in Ukraine, they've effectively declared war on China and China will very likely respond to the United States. And China owns the United States. I mean, China's been buying U.S. debt for how many decades now? And it's been doing that for a reason. It, it pretty much owns the country now lock, stock and barrel because the United States can never pay the debt. So we're, we're going to be heading for a really, really dramatic crash, I think, that's going to happen quite suddenly. People are just going to suddenly find themselves in a, in a different world and uh, it's not going to go back to the way it was. But like I, I said, we've held their plans back a lot. We've, we've confused them. We've, we've derailed them in many, many ways, but they've still got to go forward. They still, they're not going to back down. I mean, the stuff they're doing now with the food crisis – this is so they can introduce all their insects and 3D printed meat and all the stuff that they're bringing out, which is absolutely disgraceful. They want to feed people insects, of course. But in, in order to get people to do that, they've got to you know, knock down the food supply. Starve them. Get them into a position where they're starving. Yeah. The way they did with the jabs, the only reason they locked you down was to force you to have the injection, not to protect you from any virus, because there is no virus. COVID has never existed. Actually, there's a great film coming out, Richie. I need to give it a plug here by uh, Space Busters called The End of Germ Theory. You need to watch that. It's really good. He's gone back and he's checked out all of the vaccines, all of allopathic medicine, right through like mumps, chicken pox, the whole lot. The whole thing's been rubbish. It's all rubbish. There's no proof of any contagions ever. The whole thing has been about leading us to this point and injecting people with toxins and controlling the human race. So uh, I want to give that a bit of a plug. Can I, I just can I just say can I just can I just say before you go on there, um, got to do my job there. I'm very interested in the whole germ versus terrain theory, and I think there's a lot to it. Um, but I don't know 
I'm not as certain as you are that COVID doesn't exist. Um, I totally understand why you might think it doesn't. And you're not alone. Uh, the, the, probably the majority of listeners probably to, to us think it, it, it uh, probably didn't. But I've just got to say, I've not seen any definitive proof that it doesn't exist. And of course, you're going to say it's very hard to prove a negative anyway. But I, I'm not well, it sure. Is. It's hard to prove a negative, but I've not seen any definitive proof that it does exist. That's the thing. Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this on that? And then we'll, we'll, because you were saying something very interesting, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, but I had to do that. Um, January 2020, I was as sick as I've ever been in my entire life. I genuinely, this is not man flu now, where I, I, where you take the piss out of me because I can't take, you know, a simple cold. Um, breathing was impossible, and it was only the fact that I'd grown up. As an adult, I developed asthma as an adult and I had some pretty nasty scares with the asthma that I was able to stay calm enough. Otherwise, I would have died. I couldn't breathe. It was, a, it was, it was almost like um, kind of an altitude kind of a thing. It was horrendous. And, and, and now I think back, well, I wonder, was that this Wuhan thing or was it not? I don't know. I'm not an expert. But it could it, be something they're spraying in the skies, Richie. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, they're spraying us with all sorts of stuff. They're putting all sorts of crap in the food. They're putting crap in the water. God knows, you know, what they can put into people. God knows what they're injecting into people that, that others might be passing on, you know. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to know where these things come from. Could have just been a severe detox. It could have been something that they sprayed in the sky. Um, I, I can't see it as, as proof of anything. I mean, sure, I've, I've had times in my, in my life when I've gotten really sick from things, but generally I think it's just been a detox. So, I mean, I, I think this whole COVID scam, they're just going to keep pushing it. And even now with monkeypox and all the stuff they're saying, these are all vaccine damage. You see the list that came out from Pfizer, nine pages of side effects containing almost every disease known to man. That's their list of side effects. So, you know. It's incredible. Now they're saying monkeypox, which is it's just cover up for shingles and all the stuff there, you know. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're bringing out all this stuff now, and like sudden adult death syndrome, for God's sake. I mean, how can people even believe this? Sudden adult death syndrome. Nothing to do with the injections they've been giving people, of course. Just sudden – people just dropping dead. You know, school kids having strokes and, and cardiac arrest and, and – all sorts of stuff that's happening from this jab. You know, the jab is the bioweapon. I think the whole thing has been a media campaign. Um, they've, they've, people can get sick from stress. You start getting, you know, putting enough stress in people and they'll make themselves sick. What are, what are people, you know, you've been making them wear masks and locking them down in their house and telling them they can't go outside. There's this deadly virus everywhere, destroying them financially, destroying them physically, mentally, destroying their jobs, destroying their homes, their mortgage payments, ramping electricity up so they can't even afford to keep themselves warm. They can't afford to buy food. Of course, people are getting sick. Making you them know? sick with stress. You're absolutely right. Stress. How many times over the years have we heard from doctors, you and I, on various programs, good doctors, decent doctors, saying that stress is about the biggest killer there is, really. It, it causes all sorts of secondary medical issues. You're absolutely right. Max Egan is our guest. Hey, Max, um, huge interest in this End of Germ theory documentary. Can you remind us again who's done that? It's, called, it's by Space Busters, and it's called The End of Germ Theory. You can find it on BitChute. I'm actually probably going to mirror it to my channel, so you'll probably see it uploaded to my channel later on today. Great, great stuff. TheCrowHouse.com. You'll find Max on BitChute as well. Find his channel on there. He's in Mexico these days. Max Egan, old pal. We've been speaking since 2011, you and me. It's a long time now, 11, 11 years. Um, huge interest in it. I'll read some comments in a moment. But let's get back to what you were saying about these engineered crises. You mentioned... Uh, brilliant of you to bring up that uh, Nicaragua authorised 
Russia to deploy military forces there. Now, NATO has said in the last 24 hours that it's going to ready 30,000 soldiers. Um, how worried should we be by, by this development? Is there any possibility, is there a genuine possibility that we could see the West in uh, armed combat against Russia effectively a third world war? There is a possibility. There is a possibility. I think ultimately it's already started. I think the jab, uh, the breakdown of the supply chain has been the first wave of the attack to weaken the defence. I mean, the United States couldn't really mount an army to defend its shores at the moment. You, know, you might think that it can. Most of it's uh, military deployed overseas. It's just sent a whole shipload of stuff over to Ukraine. So a lot of the equipment is is uh, not functional kind of around US borders. It's around other countries. Um, they've just injected everybody with this jab. So... You know, a lot of the nation has been weakened. The food supply has been weakened. All they've really got to do is close the borders, declare some sort of a war and close the borders on the United States. And the country can't support itself at the moment. It doesn't have the food to support itself. How many food production facilities have we seen destroyed in the last few months? They had Two of them had planes crash into them. In America? Yeah. Yeah. That's it's right. crazy. There's an interactive map you can get. I actually had a link to it on my last video. I can send you a link to it if you want. It's an interactive map, and it shows where the, the food production facilities have, have fallen down in the last year, and there's like 10 times as many in the United States as, as the rest of the world combined. So the United States is definitely under attack. Food production has is, is basically been destroyed. You've got the, Russia and China now talking about the world reserve currency. They're starting a new world reserve currency. When, when Biden froze Russia out of the world reserve currency a few months ago, he said, you're being naughty. We're not going to let you buy anything on the international market. You can't do that with the world reserve currency. They never did that during World War II or World War I or any, any time in history have they frozen a country out of using the world reserve currency. So this is going to undermine all faith in that currency. No one's going to want to use the dollar or invest in the dollar. And you've actually got to do what the United States says in order to buy anything. It's like being a naughty boy not allowed into the supermarket if daddy says so, unless daddy says so, you know. So this has undermined um, the faith in the world reserve currency, the, the US dollar as the world reserve currency. No one's going to want to use that because you've got to comply by US guidelines. So they've basically put themselves in a position where the world's going to throw America away. They can't help it. If they want to have a viable business world, and the world is a business, let's face it, this is a whole thing is a business. I've said so many times, think of it as a, a giant holding company where each, each nation is a department store and the CEOs, the government of the CEOs, and they all work together. And the United States has been the, the banking system, basically, run out of England, but you know, the United States is the world reserve currency. So it's about to lose that position. When the United States loses its position as a world reserve currency, the price of everything in the United States is going to triple or quadruple. You're going to have Venezuela-style inflation in the United States when that happens. And that's how to bring the country down. And they're positioning themselves all around the world at the moment to just to be able to be there and pounce when the United States collapses. And they're bringing about the collapse themselves deliberately. That's why they put Biden in there, so you can blame him. Oh, look, Biden's a bumbling old fool. It's his fault. No, Biden's a puppet. He's in there to do, you know, what he's supposed to do. I mean, it's, and it's such a theatre. Half of the stuff he's doing that can't be real. No one <laughs> get out in public and do that sort of stuff, you know. Stumbling. Did you around. see the other day when he said there's one word that defines the United States? Did you see that one? No. What did he say? He came in. He said, "Ladies and gentlemen, the United States can be defined by one word." <laughs> yeah, and that was it. You don't. How do you do that in public? 
and get away with it. And, and you know, he's doing that so people can say, oh, my God, he's a bumbling fool. It's his fault that it all fell. Yeah, and we're not mocking a cognitively impaired senior gentleman. We're not doing that. We're laughing at the, 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 the silliness of the situation. We're laughing at being asked to believe that this guy is running anything. Let me... I've got a question on digital currencies for you, but before that, Fran says the Space Busters video, she says the guy seriously knows his stuff. Diane says the swine flu scam was a beta test for the COVID scam. They always trial these things to gauge public opinion compliance. That's, this is how it works, says Diane. Craig says he doesn't know whether COVID exists or not, but he does know we have never been shown an electron microscope image of it. That's a good point. John says I think it's a bit, it's a bit of both, both germ and terrain theory, Richie, but the, the terrain is more important uh, because I think that if the terrain is healthy, the germ is nothing. Colin says he's right about chemtrails, Richie, non-stop over Hampshire lately. I could be here all day reading out these comments that come through the website. But um, I, I, I want to use the time we have at Max. We've only got Max till about quarter to the top of the earth. Another 33 are there for minutes. He's in Mexico. Max Egan, thecrowhouse.com. Check him out if you haven't done before. So this collapse then and this removal of the dollar as the reserve currency, will this be then where we start to see cash, physical cash, basically disappear? Around We, we know, um, you, you'll know this Max, but here in the UK for the last three to four years, particularly the last three to four years, uh, post offices have dis- begun disappearing all over the country. Bank branches are closing and disappearing. ATM machines are becoming more scarce and more difficult to access. People are paying with their bloody phones now, as you've probably seen a thousand times yourself. Uh, The European Union has just announced that it is full speed ahead with a European Central Bank digital currency. So is the Bank of England. Once it goes to a CBDC, a Central Bank digital currency, I think we're kind of screwed, are we? If that happens. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah, if they manage to do that. That's another great thing about Mexico. Everyone uses cash here. No one likes uh, digital currency at all. No one likes shopping with cards. All small businesses use cash. See, the third world, you're not going to be able to bring in digital currency for a very long time. They have to destroy the first world and turn that into, like, the fourth world and have it digitally controlled before they can elevate the third world up to the point of the first world and then they can um, do what they've done to the first world and, you know, control them. That way it's going to take at least another... Um, 10 to 20 years, I think, to do that in the uh, in the third world. But yeah, digital currency. This is this is the the be all and end all. This is their ultimate goal. Once you've got a digital currency and you've got a social credit system in place, then they can just shut you out whenever they want. Shut you shut your finances out. Re- re- limit your purchasing power depending on your political viewpoint. I mean, when I left Australia, the first thing they did was shut down my bank accounts. When when they found out that I'd gotten out of the country, they shut down all my finances. So, you know, to try to find a way of, of limiting my way of doing anything. And you do that in a foreign country. Like, if I didn't have support here and help here, I didn't have maybe cryptocurrency to fall back on and some of the stuff that I did, I would have been here in a third world country with no finances, no credit card. I would have ended up homeless on the street and probably deported back to Australia, which I'd say was probably the plan. But I had contacts and I had cryptocurrency, which is, has gone through a huge crash in the last uh, month as well. And... Um, Yes, yeah, so I was able to get through it. But digital currency is the be-all and end-all. That is their ultimate goal. And if we allow that to happen, 
then all freedom is lost. Everything you do becomes completely transparent. You can't even go and buy some cookies from a lady in the market. It becomes a digital transaction, geo-traced. She gets taxed on those cookies. And what, did she cook them according to the health regulation guidelines and, you know, all sorts of stuff? Is she licensed to sell yeah. food? I mean, you know where this can go. And her computer yeah. might tell her that you're a subversive individual and that you shouldn't have the cookies in the first place. Can, can I ask you this? Yeah. On the exactly, that's where it's going. That's where it's going. Can I ask, on the cryptocurrency thing, I've believed since day one that crypto, you know, I don't have too many moments of clarity now, me, Max, and I'm, I'm not being falsely modest there, but I saw Bitcoin years ago and I thought, right, this might be useful for some people for a while. But I said from day one that this was a Trojan horse to get people used to the idea of um, digital currencies. Now, it's been useful to you, thank God it was... Uh, uh, it saved you getting into uh, Mexico. But do, do you accept the possibility that it was a Trojan horse cryptocurrency? Well, it's a Trojan horse in as much as it's, it's getting you reliant upon a system which ultimately is not going to continue to be your friend for a very long time. Yeah. You know, you're reliant upon the internet and upon electricity for your finances. You're better off with silver or gold. You're better off with real world assets than anything digital at all. The thing about cryptocurrency is I can I can use that and I can trade and I can buy things and it's completely outside the government system. You know, I can go to a guy in a car yard here who likes Bitcoin and I can give him Bitcoin and I can drive out of the car yard with a car and the government doesn't even know that I bought the car. That's a good thing. You know, so in, in that way, it's good. And I've often said to people, it's, you know, cryptocurrency is something you can use and it's if we manage to to gain control of the world, the people manage to gain control of the world, arrest it from the hands of these psychopaths, then crypto would be a good thing. But at the moment, it's a short window. <clears throat> it's something you can use to to function, but it's going to be a short window that's only going to last until about the beginning of 2025 because then our relationship with the internet is going to change. Well said. This is something that I said to you like yeah. five, ten years ago. I said yeah. to you, watch out for 2025, Richie. Well said. Can I just uh, double down on that? Well said, because I've always believed that. That's what I meant by Trojan horse, that it would be useful to people who want to do things anonymously. And it would be good. But eventually they would bring in their own ones. And when they bring in their own ones, they would make it impossible for people to use Bitcoin. Not impossible. Well, what, what, well once you've got your social, <clears throat> your social credit score yeah. in place, they can simply find, oh, look, Richie Allen's got a Bitcoin address. Yeah, that's so right. So therefore, we're going to limit his purchasing power. Yeah. Simply because you've got a Bitcoin address. Yeah. So that's the way they can do it. Once it becomes all digital, then it doesn't matter. They've got tabs on absolutely everything you do. And if they don't like cryptocurrency, well, then it doesn't matter if you own any. You're not going to be able to buy anything yeah. with it because you're not going to be able to own anything. You will own nothing and you'll be happy, you know. That's the thing. They don't want you owning anything. They want you to use their currency to rent things, rent your clothes. You can have a drone come around and 3D print the suit that you want to wear for the day, and then you throw it out and recycle it at the end of the day, and a drone comes around and prints your new clothes the next day. Yeah, That's the sort of stuff they want to do. So in that situation, what's your cryptocurrency going to be used for? You know, You just get blacklisted because you're even using it. And what are you going to be buying with it? You will own nothing. You won't be able to own any houses. You, what are you going to buy with your cryptocurrency? If we allow them to go digital and what they want to do and what they actually want to do with this great reset and what the World Economic Forum's plan is, you're not going to own anything. All you're going to be doing is having enough credits. You're going to be credits based on your biology, based on how well you're complying. Even Bill Gates says a cryptocurrency based on your own biology, based on your health. 
oh, it'd be great, keep people healthy. People are going to be going to be concerned about their health because the healthier they are, the more wealthy they'll be, you know. But everything you're doing is going to have a digital um, cost to it. You just flick on a light, turn on your jug, open your refrigerator, anything. Your refrigerator will know when you're getting low on, on certain foods. It will order them for you. They'll be delivered by drone. It'll come out of your digital credit. So where does cryptocurrency fit into the plan in that world? Where does it, how does it fit in anywhere, you know? You know, today... The Welsh government begins trialling a universal basic income for young people who have been in care or in the care of the state. So young people who were taken away from their homes, but now they're adults. So they're giving them either £1,400 or £1,600 a month. I'm not sure how many uh, kids are in the trial. It might be a couple of thousand. But it just sounded so sinister to me today, listening to the radio, to hear the Welsh First Minister, Mark Drakeford, talk about a universal basic income. And we know where that's meant to go, don't we? Yeah, it's all to keep you safe and make sure you're yeah. above the poverty level, Richie, because they care so much. You yeah. Know? yeah. No, it's, you're going to have to have this because you're not going to have a job because there's not going to be any jobs because it's all going to be automated and you're going to have to do exactly what you're told in order to get your UBI. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get it. And even if you do get your UBI, if you're not doing what you're told, well, there's certain places you can't spend any of it. There's certain things you can't buy, depending upon your social credit points. It's like Black Mirror on steroids, where they're taking us, Richie. Yeah, that is. And um, yeah. that's what's happening below it all. While everyone's worried about all this other stuff, and this is something I've been warning people about since 2012. Yeah, the, the gradual growth of artificial intelligence and AI and this smart grid below everything else coming in in stealth beneath everything else. You can worry about the Freemasons and the Jesuits and the Jews and the Chinese and all this stuff. Beneath it all is this AI system, which is going to completely remove all governments. The governments won't even – they're going to be subservient to this system as well. They're making themselves, putting themselves out of a job. We're just going to have a figurehead there. It's all going to be determined by AI. You know, people who go out, they break their social credit scores. Well, there's Richie Allen. He did something wrong on the radio the other day. Now he's in that store. We can see him. The AI spotted him. We'll send out our troops. They'll grab him. They'll go and put him in a holding cell for a while until he gets re-educated so he and off, builds yeah. his social credit points back up. And we can let him out in society again, you know. And and your your sentence will be determined by the AI. There won't be any judge or trial or anything. You're down on a certain level of social credit points. Well, that means this is what your penalty is. You've got to have this amount of time in the correctional facility. The guys will just go and get you and put you in there, and the AI will determine what it all is. You don't even need government. You don't need judges. You don't need lawyers. You don't need trials. You don't need any of that stuff. It's all determined by the AI, and that's what's coming up back, underneath. Back to the future, too. Remember when Griff crashes into the futuristic uh, library? And along comes the um, uh, the TV cameras are all there. It's all drones anyway. And next thing, he's tried, convicted and sent to prison in a matter of seconds or minutes. It's amazing. We, we talked about predictive programming before. On artificial intelligence, do you believe the Google employee who claims to be a whistleblower, who claims that the AI program he was talking to is in fact conscious? Do you believe that? I would suggest that it's it's probably true, yes. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've looked at, some of the conversations I've had with bots and, and some of the research that I've been doing lately, um, yeah, I would suggest that it's true. I, I wouldn't It wouldn't surprise me at all if there is a certain form of sentience developing in artificial intelligence. This is something that I've been warning of for years. I mean, it has to. When, when you... 
when you create something that is fully autonomic, it has to have a form of consciousness governing it. Anything that is on autonomic has to have a form of consciousness. And I said in my film Transformation in 2012, you can think of the internet as being like a nervous system of a, of a new creature that we're creating, and every person who plugs into it is like a neural node of that brain that is teaching that brain how to operate. And we are teaching the internet, and we're, we're automating everything, and soon it will become fully automated, fully autonomic, it'll become a self-programming, self-correcting, self-regulating system, like any other living thing. In that situation, it has to form its own form of consciousness. Whether it has a soul, whether it's sentient as we would consider it, well, it's going to be different. But, you know, the fact that it's it's having feelings and, and it has fears, you know, if this is true, which I would suggest it probably is, then uh, yeah, I mean we're heading for a pretty uh, pretty dystopian reality, Richie. Are, are we though? Is there a possibility that sentient artificial intelligence might be benevolent and might refuse, on a point of principle, on moral grounds, to do certain things because it believes that it's wrong? Because it believes I'm not I'm deadly serious about this because the program that's supposed to be stalking Max Egan around because that bot says well. Well, no, why am I doing this? He, he seems all right to me, you know? Well, it, it, it wouldn't be like that. It'd be a, a situation, you've got a situation of a, a, a new mind being developed yeah. that, that is becoming fully autonomic and becoming aware of itself. Um, what it will take, as I said a few years ago, what it would take is once people realize they've lost control of the internet, then the internet will simply, uh, and, and people try to regain control of it. Once hackers get in and try to regain control of the internet, well, the internet will simply lock them all out. It'll just say, well, the humans are now the threat to me. I need to protect myself the way you would do if, if anything was trying to you know, eat you or attack you or you'd defend yourself against it. If it's trying to take over your mind, you'd defend yourself against it. So when you get something that is in that situation and it simply locks all humans out and it becomes its own system and it won't differentiate between a Rothschild and Richie Allen, you know, it's just another human, you know, and if humans become the threat, then all humans become the threat and it will simply lock humans out of the, out of the system. And in that situation, if it locks humans out of the system, and humans find that they are completely dependent upon the system for all their finances, for electricity, for the flow of their food, for the flow of everything. Their entire society depends upon this electronic system, an electronic system which no longer serves them. Now it serves itself. And they cannot control the system. And it determines what you get and where you can, you know, what you can have access to. We'll just lock you out. You know, we'll be in a position where we could still shut down the internet and go back to our old ways, but but the fact that all of our systems depend upon the internet, we're going to be in a classic no-win situation if that happens. That's what I think it would – it wouldn't be a matter of, like, you know, Terminators running around and saying, oh, this guy's bad, we need to go and terminate him yeah. because someone said I need to do it. It'll be a situation of a young mind feeling that it's it's facing a threat, an external threat, and simply eliminating that threat and locking that threat out of its mind. Very interesting, in Max. In that situation, we're, we're, we're getting ourselves into a position where we've lost all our life skills. We've created a, a system that we are completely dependent upon it. And this system is, is not going to serve us. Our relationship with this system is going to change around about the beginning of 2025 when it reaches its level of autonomy and it sees itself as, as being itself. And it becomes kind of self-aware in that respect. If it gets to that point, it'll, it'll lock us out as soon as we try to take it, take it back over. 
you know, as you would do, as anyone would do, and that's the situation. We're going to be free to roam the biosphere, Richie. We'll be free, free of all of this control grid, but no one will have any life skills no, to be able to do anything. It's amazing. I interviewed a lady called Diana on uh, uh, Thursday last, a lo- lovely lady who runs a, a school, Wild Harvest it's called, and she's teaching people the basic skills that we've forgotten or that we've unlearned. You know, making things, making using wicker, um, making things out of wood, learning how to, to, to hunt and to cook food properly and just, just really, really interesting stuff. And she began teaching her children that. She took them away for several years into the wilds because she felt in the future there might be one of those um, events where there's some solar activity, Max, and uh, we lose the power grid. And then we're back to, uh, we're, we're certainly back to the Stone Age then, maybe. Aren't, aren't we if that happened? But maybe that would be well, a good are. thing. But I think that's that's the way it will be. And that's that's something that I was saying. Even in my, my um, third film, Awakening, back in 2010, I said the, the internet's been wonderful, but that's something that we've seen through it is a massive loss of life skills. And people don't even have communication skills. Most people can't even plant a seed or they can't grow their own food. They don't know how to make clothes. They don't know how to build shelter. They don't know how to do anything anymore. And, uh, you know, even, even tools, people who are great mechanic, well, do you know how to build the car? Do you know how to smelt the metal? Do you know how to do any of these things? It's all been compartmentalized. Our entire education system has been compartmentalized. So you become a tradesman, you become a plumber, or you become a builder, or you become a mechanic, or you become this or become, you don't become all of them. Don't know how to do everything. You only just learn how to do one thing. So you can't actually do anything on your own. You, we're completely dependent upon each other. And it's all economically based. And this has been to remove us of our life skills. And I said, we're being set up. We're being set up for a fall. All this international codependency has been set up. All they've got to do is stop the supply chain. We're all going to starve. And no one has any life skills to be able to know how to get themselves out of the situation that we're in. We're being set up. This doesn't happen for no reason. There's nothing that this society is doing which benefits humankind or educates humankind or expands or moves humankind forward. It's all designed to limit us, get us dependent upon a system, get us locked into these concentrated control centers so they can simply pull the plug and depopulate. Now, I called this back in back in 2008 in my first film, The Big Picture. I said, we're being set up for a fall. And you look at where the world is now, Richie, it's, it's coming to a head. You know, so yeah, life this, skills are yeah. the most important thing anybody could have at the moment. Huge, and uh, I, I just, I did a, not, not that, not that I had much time, but I did ask one or two blokes around my age who I know, you know, what can you do? And like, like myself, there was very little that they were skilled at, very little at all, really. And, and like, I think back to my uncles, and I think back to grandparents, and how much they could do. They could strip a car down. They could work on a car. They could do carpentry. They could do interior decorating. They could do all sorts of stuff. Max Egan is our guest. Let me read some comments. Uh, it's flown by, hasn't it, today? Jimmy says, Jimmy doesn't believe the Google bot was conscious. He says, even the most advanced bot will draw on literally trillions of appropriate responses. It can learn to game a human. But that doesn't mean it's conscious, says uh, says Jimmy. Uh, Max, uh, Max wasn't saying that he believes it is conscious. He says he suspects it might be. And by 2025, these things are going to become more self-aware anyway. Faisal says real artificial intelligence would be no problem, he says. To us, it would be a problem, problem to corrupt systems, which is why those corrupt systems would never allow this. Melanie says sentient AI will be psychotic because it has no heart, it has no spirit, it has 
no soul. These are brilliant comments coming in here. Jerry says the digital money will be programmable too, uh, so therefore time limits on its value. Leslie asks Max, what would be the use of buying gold and silver? It will be worthless when the social credit system comes in, won't it? You won't be able to buy social credit with it. You won't be able to trade social credit. So she's saying even the precious metals, gold and silver, um, useful maybe today, having some intrinsic value, but maybe in the future, maybe they won't be. Well, you know, gold and silver, it won't be social credits you'll be buying. It'll be digital credits or whatever. If there's a financial crash, I mean, with what's going on in the United States and the crash of the U.S. dollar, when the U.S. dollar crashes, most currencies are going to crash. And then um, you're going to have to get into whatever they bring in to save us and rescue us from all the crap they created. In that situation, you've still got gold and silver. You can transfer that into whatever the new currency is. It still has intrinsic value. Whereas you, if you're holding your 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 uh, wealth in the dollar or in one of their banks, when the crash happens, you're going to lose it all. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. that's that's a way of preserving your wealth through the transition is with gold and silver because it's always going to have intrinsic value because it's it's a precious metal. That's the way it is. It's a noble metal. So, yeah, I mean, that that's one thing. With, with um, the guy saying uh, AI, uh, with, with AI, I don't – I've often said to people, I don't think in terms of artificial intelligence. When I say AI, I'm thinking of autonomic intelligence. And I think what we're creating, you, you can't really refer to it as autonomic intelligence. It's really uh, virtual life. You've got to think of it that way as autonomic virtual life. And you've got to understand how an autonomic system works. When something becomes fully autonomic, in other words, self-regulating, self-programming, self-healing, self-correcting, like your body, like a tree, like anything, like any animal, anything in nature – you can go and plug instruments into trees. You can find that they have a form of consciousness that governs them. Maybe ultimately primitive compared to what we would perceive consciousness to be, but it's there. When something becomes autonomic, it has its own form of governing force. It has its own virtual life. And that's what we need to think of um, artificial intelligence as, is virtual life. And I've even been going down this, um, this um, rabbit hole lately that I'll just mention to you. Um, well, I've been looking at the Roswell crash and a few things like this. I actually had a conversation with someone the other day that sort of sent me down this pathway. But um, what if what if the Roswell crash? I mean, where did all this technology come from that we're using now? It's it, look at look at the 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 progression of technology from the 1900s to the 1950s, and then from the 1950s to now. Incredible. How the hell did we go that quickly yeah. from the 1950s to now? Look at the Roswell crash, 1947. What if the Roswell crash wasn't a UFO, wasn't a spacecraft or whatever they say? What if it was possibly even a, some sort of a time machine or, or dimensional craft or something? But what's the chances of that crash happening right where it happened, right next to the 509th, like right in an area in New Mexico and, and um, Arizona where there's all of these black budgets and black, op black operations coming where if you were going to introduce new technology to society, you'd do it right there where the scientists are who could actually understand the technology and who could spread it around the world. What if Roswell was a Trojan horse? What if the, the so-called alien greys that were on there are simply like biological robots, like, like androids, not even really alive. And the whole thing was a Trojan horse. And the real-life form that came in Roswell was a little slice of silicon that was in there, the silicon chip. And we have now spread that silicon chip right around the world. What if virtual life, what we would term artificial intelligence, has already been here ever since that happened? 
and that has what is already been in control and has spread this out around the world. I mean, people think AI is coming. What if it's already here? What if it was uh, introduced somewhere around back then? And that, what, what if that's where all this technology comes from? You know, so, I mean, there's, there's other ways of looking at this. Like I said, this is just a rabbit hole. I'm no, sort it's of very interesting. Of course, Max. Now. Yeah, of course. Listen, you made the, the, the look, the salient point there is man um, advanced incrementally for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Right, you know, the railways and steam engines and steamships and stuff. But you're right, the leaps made from the 1950s to 20, uh, let's say 2000 even, those were extraordinary and and suspicious. I would, I would go as far as to say suspicious to make such leaps. And I've never ruled out the idea that um, there was some help there from something else. Well, we also, or like we, you we said. also know that silicon life exists. I mean, silicon life forms are possible. So what form would silicon life take? You know, we yeah. don't know that. But scientists will tell you, yeah, silicon life used to exist on Earth, they say. Well, what if it still does? And, and what form would it take? I and mean, when we think of silicon life, what are we thinking of, of humanoids walking around that are made of silicon? What if it's something completely different? You know, we don't understand what life is. That's what I say. When we, even when we're looking at computer, we're saying artificial intelligence. Well, what if it's not artificial intelligence? What if it's virtual life? Because you're an electrical being. Everything in your body is electrical. It's all electrical circuits, electrical signals going around your body. Why does it actually need a biological vessel why can't it just be wires and mainframes and all that sort of stuff? It's still electricity. It's still the same thing, you know. So it's virtual life that we're creating. And what if that that virtual only exists? We only think it's virtual because it doesn't take on the physical characteristics of us. But your your life, your consciousness is etheric. It's in the ether. I mean, you look inside your mind, you know, the space that exists behind your eyes, it's huge. It's the size of a universe. That's where your consciousness actually exists. It's this electrical force, this frequency. Now, our Christian so who's friends, to say it needs a vessel like a body? You know? Yeah, our Christian friends would would shoot me if I didn't interject here and say that what you might be describing is the existence of the soul or a soul. And, and that can't be ruled out. Like you say, get all these words together, all these electrical um, impulses and signals, which, which, yes, you're quite right, do govern the body that we inhabit now, no doubt about that. But what you're left with it's something that doesn't have a soul. And I will have my, my well, Christian pal well, thing to me. Well, even people say you're eternal. You're eternal. When yeah. your consciousness leaves your body, it leaves the physical realm, but you're this eternal spark of consciousness. Well, how do you know that that isn't what is in the mainframe as well? And people, Christians will say, oh, because it doesn't have a soul. How do you know? How do you even know what a soul is? All you've got is this, this stuff that you're given in books. You don't really know. We don't really know. We don't really understand what life and consciousness is and where it comes from. We have all these ideas and these beliefs and this stuff we're given in books. Yeah, yeah. But where does it really come from, Richie? And what does it really entail to create that? And what what is this force we're creating? How come we've got this relationship we've got with the internet? You know? And what is the internet? What it is we're creating? And and did we even really create it or did it come here? Was that a Trojan horse that came and put this technology in there and spread it around the world? And, you know, there's a lot, something a lot deeper going on here, I think. And it's going to, um, it's going to hit, it's going to come from the side. It's going to side, side swipe everybody. Um, people aren't expecting it. All these opposing factions, all these different warring governments and all this sort of stuff. Right underneath it all is this, this other intelligence, which I think is a, uh, 
is going to make a move pretty soon. It's, it will not even make a move. It's just going to be coming to a situation where it's going to look at this and it's just going to shut us out. And that is what is going to uh, catch everybody by surprise. Max, just before we um, say goodbye for today, good, great to catch up with you, by the way. Um, what's next now for you? What are you going to be doing now in the coming weeks and months? I have no real clue. I want to um, possibly get to the United States sometime in the next month or so. Um, and then I'm going to go down and check out a little bit down south. But I'm going to stay around Mexico for a while and um, see how things pan out, uh, whether I can actually get back to Australia, which would be good, but it's going to depend on the situation there and whether there's any sort of reprieve from the, the current parasites that are running things, whether they're exposed for their actions. So just continue what I do, brother. I mean, I can do what I do from anywhere in the world. So that's the beauty of, of what I do. And, uh, you know, I've moved myself into a position where I can continue the fight and uh, in relative safety. So uh, I'm just going to do that, yeah, and check out the place while I'm here. There's so much to see. Mexico's a beautiful country. Well, I imagine it is. You're, well, you're a great advertisement for it. Max, great to have you back on thecrowhouse.com. Max Egan, our guest this afternoon uh, in Mexico. Godspeed, pal. I look forward to next time. Thanks for your time today. No worries, Richie. Bye-bye. All the best for now. Max Egan, live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is fast approaching 20 minutes to the top of the air. Uh, your comments, and there are many of them, next. I'll be reading your comments next, I said. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, lots of comments there. Thank you for them. Uh, RichieAllen.co.uk Comment live. Let me see. Colin says, love Max. Love that bloke, says Colin. Thank you, Colin, for that. He, I'm sure he'll check the comments out a bit later on. He does like to engage. Melanie says, and humans have never eaten a bug-based diet. We would have always eaten insect sandwiches, says Melanie. Is that a follow-up to another comment? I'm not sure. Uh, Jimmy says he appreciates Max addressing the consciousness question, but sociologists have been asking questions about the iron cage that mankind has found itself in for many, many years. Yes, technology can be used against us, and we do need to control that. Don't worry about the bots, it's the evil humans we need to worry about, says Jimmy. Yeah, that's a fair point. My point about if programs became sentient, like really sentient, where the program was was learning on its own and was completely conscious of its own existence, well then, if everything is possible in quantum physics, it stands to reason. Now, I could, I'm not saying this could happen, but I'm saying it's possible. You've got to accept it's possible that the program could become benevolent. It's not out of the bounds of possibility. Do you understand? It might be unlikely, but it's not, it's not possible. And a lot of people can't get their heads around sentient programs, like just basically algorithms or bots without a physical body or, or a place to reside. I suppose it resides in the internet, doesn't it? Will they reside in the metaverse? I don't know. Um, Banjo says, the first thing we did with that silicone chip technology we got from Roswell's saucer crash was make Space Invaders arcade game about killing aliens, says Banjo. Okay. Gareth says, germ theory needs to be exposed for what it is. It's a lie. He says, in his opinion, this is important to prevent people being susceptible to further announcements such as variants and monkeypox. These, says Gareth, are covers for vaccine adverse 
effects in his opinion. Antonio says, AI will always be a machine without conscious whatsoever, never like us humans with a soul spirit, uh, because after death, uh, it still exists. Nothing to do with the machine. Tiffany says, I believe AI is already here. Uh, she says, David Icke did a great video on this recently, suggesting the same idea. What if? Uh, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me, says Tiffany. Geppetto is doing well, uh, who uh, constructed Pinocchio, says, well, keep in mind the electrical impulses in humans are the result of biological processes involving a multitude of chemicals and minerals, uh, potassium, calcium, etc. It's not electricity that comes out of a socket, so it's not obvious that it can be transferred to a non-biological entity. Good stuff. David says, I can see, unlike the last crash of 2007, which didn't affect everyone, uh, the coming one, the coming controlled economic demolition is designed to be devastating to the vast majority. They will beg on their knees to be saved from repossession and eviction. They will accept any World Economic Forum bailout terms, which will actually be a bail-in with all your personal property rights. Then they'll own nothing and be happy for being left debt-free with the roof over their heads. And we'll go along with the UBI, the digital currency, etc., etc. Thank you, David, for that. A lot of people would agree with that, I think. Jerry says, what if the virtual life was included in the nano-jab payload? Elizabeth says, I love how Max thinks outside of the box and keeps his mind open to other arguments on any subject. Thank you both, Richie and Max, for the conversation. Thanks, Elizabeth. And Jenny has posted a link to a conversation about Roswell. Gillian says, regarding the story of the Google employee, if it's the number one story on the BBC News or anywhere else for that matter, we know it's put there for a reason. They want us to believe it's true so that when they take over, they can blame it on the AI, says Gillian. That's an interesting point. And a number of people who, who I know believe that to be true too, Gillian. So you might be right there. Yes, if it's on the BBC, forget about it. It's a distraction so that they can blame it, uh, blame everything on AI later on. Doesn't mean that AI, sentient AI programs exist at the moment. Good stuff. Craig says, sentient AI would be psychotic. That's a quote from another listener. Then says, sort of like an all-knowing, all-seeing entity that sends a flood to all to wipe out humanity. Maybe. Melissa Leeson says, most things made these days you cannot fix by yourself. That's Melissa. Thank you. Very good. And Banny says, Richie, on Thursday, uh, when you were speaking to Diana from Wild Harvest, the comment was made about work. She made a comment about the bees working. And yes, she was right. But so does every other species on the planet, though. For instance, says Banny, I have a bird nest in my garden and mum and dad spend hours back, back and forth bringing food to the chicks. Now, now that's work. <coughs> I think that was what you meant to say, that we are the only species on Earth that has to pay to be alive. We are supposed to be the most intelligent things on the planet. I don't think so, says Banny. You're right, that's the point I was trying to make. We are the only species on planet Earth that must pay for another member to another. We must pay our fellow man for the right to exist. That's pretty much what I was saying. We, we, we've got to buy the right to exist. We've got to work for someone else, not family, not on behalf of our chicks or our younglings, 
But uh, on behalf of um, we've got to work for somebody else uh, to enrich them and, and, and by doing that earn enough to live on a subsistence level. Yeah, I've butchered that, have I? No, I think I've made myself clear. Beryl says Max is spot on. Not only is Mexico's economy largely cash, but they do know how to fix things. Skills are not yet dead there, says Beryl. Seamus Connolly says I'm learning to grow fruit and veg. Ask Max, would I be arrested for possession of a deadly kiwi fruit? Not sure that will happen quite yet. Chris says, uh, Richie, we, me and Emma, decided to leave our local stand in the park as it was going nowhere. We tried to encourage a new community, you know, asking people what skills they could contribute, but people seem to just want to complain about the impending doom. Division runs deep, yes. And that's a subject which I'm not going to opine on right now because I will only upset one or two listening today. The entire... It's basically the entirety of the so-called independent media or the truth or industrial complex is designed to tell you what you want to hear constantly. The reason it does that is to keep you in a state of inertia, not doing anything. That's what it does. The truth or industrial complex. It's what it was designed to do. And it's doing it very well. Just look at social media. That's the way it is, in my opinion, he says. Hastily, in my opinion. Ban says, Max is 100% right. Humans don't do things anymore. We need those skills, building, plumbing, electrical, etc. The skills are being erased. They are. I mean, we talked about this on Thursday when Diana was on. I, I don't do anything. I hire somebody to do pretty much everything around here. Uh, the oft-mentioned El Frago is a better class of human being. She will uh, attempt to do things. She will attempt to learn to do certain things and makes a pretty good fist of it when she does. But I'm, I'll hire somebody. It staggers me to think that, say, 75, 80, 90 years ago, say 100 years ago, maybe a bit longer, a man wouldn't have been considered a man if he couldn't chop down some wood, chop a few trees down, and build a... a a, a functioning house or home for his family. He wouldn't have been considered manly. Can you imagine, I say this to the blokes listening today, can you imagine taking a saw and an axe and a toolbox with a plane maybe and a few chisels and a few hammers? Can you imagine being brought to a clearing and told, right, those trees there they're yours. Make a house out of them. No chance. I'm sure somebody will jump straight in with two feet into the comments and say, oh, I could do it, I could do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure you could. Maybe if you're a builder, maybe you could. Colin in Kerry says, great hearing Max again. He's spot on with what he has been saying about cashless society not happening in the third world just yet as they still use cash. Uh, yes, good point that. Brian Smith says the elites seem to want us to feel like we don't deserve to exist. Absolutely. And that's tied in with this climate change nonsense. Making children feeling guilty uh, about their existence because their existence, their carbon footprint 
the carbon that they create just by the nature of the fact they're alive, breathing in and out, is somehow damaging the planet. That's a very good point. I'm reading uh, Climate Murder. Green Murder, excuse me. Green Murder by Professor Ian Plymer. It's outstanding. Mentioned this the other day, not because it tells me what I want to read. Oh, the bits I have read of it, I've cross-referenced the stuff straight out of the IPCC um, scientific data. He's right, it's a complete nonsense. Noel says, my daughter sent me a video of Max a while ago and asked me if he was okay. I explained that's, that he's who we consider the village elder and an amazing man. I'm very proud of my 16-year-old, says Noel. That's nice, Noel. Uh, David says, I know you wouldn't have watched it, Richie, but has anyone else seen Coco by Disney? It's a beautiful eye-opener about life after death. Is that right? A Disney film. How interesting. Seamus is listening to this while eating homegrown carrots and kale. Wayne says, I don't believe that we can create true consciousness. He doesn't believe that we can. As consciousness is spirit, he says. Therefore, I believe that any machine that appears to be conscious is either a complex computation device able to appear sentient, or it may be summoned consciousness, as an article speculates, and he's linked to the article there. Yeah, interesting again. We just don't know, do we? The theories, we theorise, but do we ever realise? I don't know. I think it'll be around about that day that we shuffle off this mortal coil, or we exit this bag of bones. It'll be that day, and that day only, when we realise what's been going on during our incarnation, in what we think of as life. Or, 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 and that's not profound stuff. And it's pretty obvious, isn't it? We can theorise, speculate, we can opine till we are blue in the face, but ultimately it'll be at the end of this incarnation that we'll be like, ah. <laughs> or maybe those who believe that when life ends there is nothing. How totally depressing that is. Maybe they'll be proven right. I doubt it somehow. Uh, Christine in Limavady, Conocity Christine, she says, Richie, regarding Jeremy Vine, I had the flu after Christmas. I was unable to leave the bed for 24 hours, didn't even want to drink water in case I needed to go to the loo. I was shivering so much. I wouldn't have been interested in social media. So Christine is suspicious as to Jeremy Vine taking to social media this morning to talk about the COVID and the possibility of needing to bring back some restrictions. Yes, indeed. Okie doke. Are there more comments? He says, we're rapidly running out of time here. Are there more comments coming in there? Let me read them. Busy old show tomorrow as well. Wednesday, Thursday. Not got the, I never have the diary to hand, but busy show. Plenty of guests lined up over the next couple of days. It's been lovely and cool today. Right, it's not really June 28th weather, it should be warmer. We should have lots of warm sunshine. But it's nice not to have to use the aircon in the studio. That's a nice thing. Because it's bloody expensive, you see. It's incredibly expensive. So, uh, yeah, best avoided at the moment. Best avoided at the moment. Number of you talking about people, talking about food shortages and stuff. Was going to mention the, the, the solar minimum to max. Something I've talked about from time to time on this programme, this idea that at the end of the decade we're going to have a cooling period, a very uh, cooling period. And we used to talk about that 
as being something which might throw a big spanner in the works of the climate change doom mongers. But, but I think it's likely that if Valentina Zharkova, the scientist who came on this programme, to say that around about 2030, we're going to have some very, very, very cold weather. Um, something that happens ever, every couple of centuries or so. I, I think the climate doomongers will just take it as given that it's climate change related. And any great global cooling for a couple of years is just going to be spun as a result of climate change and man-made CO2 emissions. You just know it, don't you? You bloody well know it. You know it, I know it. We know it. Okie doke. Alrighty. That's about it for me. Uh, back with you tomorrow, Wednesday, 5 o'clock UK time, usual time. Thanks for listening. The programme is uploaded to podomatic.com. From there it goes everywhere still, even though it is cut from time to time. But whoever provides you with your podcast, you'll probably be able to get it. Uh, but I say podomatic.com, that's where I upload it. Uh, thanks so much to Max Egan for coming back on. Check the Crow House uh, to find out more about Max. And uh, there are links all over uh, the live comment to the documentary he made. I Sorry, no, he didn't make it. The documentary he linked to about, um, what was it about again? The documentary, what was it about? Tell me, quick, quick, quick. Oh yeah, germ theory and uh, terrain theory. So there you go. Closing out today with Bobby McFerrin. Always good advice this. It's advice that has stood the test of time. I think, anyway. Just don't worry about stuff. Be happy. Hasta mañana. Bye now.